Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is Ryan Pelton, your prolific writer, podcast host, and I am so glad that you are here, however you found us. If you are listening on the train, on the plane, at the gym, in the car, we are glad that you're here to get more of writerly awesomeness. This podcast is dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well. And today is the day, episode 25, where we interview Chris Fox. And if you haven't heard about Chris Fox, you will hear about him soon. Uh, Chris Fox hails from California, and he is a science fiction writer, a horror writer who's been writing full-time only for a couple years, but he's written a lot of helpful nonfiction books on the craft of writing, and he wrote a particular book that many of us have found very helpful called 5,000 Words a Day, and he continues to write books on the craft. I think he has one coming out on developing a writing habit, and Chris and I have a great conversation talking about how to write more and how to off, write often and how to write well. And what we discuss and what we determine is that writing fast is not does not mean poor quality. And that's one of the myths that is is going around that if you write fast, if you write a lot, that somehow it can't be any good. And and it doesn't mean that we don't it doesn't mean we throw up work that's not good or we don't rewrite or we don't edit or we don't look it over. Of course not. But, but he really believes that it's, some of it is due to science and some of it's just due to our subconscious that the faster we write, the the better it is to kind of get out of your own way and to get down the words and actually be able to tell really good stories. And Chris is a testimony of that. And Chris has really helped a lot of indie writers with the craft. He's been very open about his processes, his income and, what he does to kind of get more words on the page. And he shares that on his YouTube channel. 
his website. He gives tons of stuff away. And, and Chris is a really humble guy, a genuinely likable guy. And, and I was really privileged that he would give me the time to to chat with him and, and really pick his brain and, and hear more of what he does, how he does it, why he does it, and, and also see his success, that people like his stories and people buy his stories and they're helped by his nonfiction books. And so it's not that he's just writing a lot, but he's also writing really good stories that people enjoy. And so that that's really what we're after. And and I wanted to encourage you because I know when we listen to episodes like this, we've we've had guests on here that write two novels a month and written hundreds of books and and it could feel defeated. Maybe you're someone who's just starting out. But but the one thing Chris really emphasizes is just developing a, a daily habit of writing. And whether that's a hundred words, five hundred words, five thousand words, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. But the point is that sitting down, having a workman attitude, put on it on your hard hat, going to work every day, putting the words down every day, discipline yourself every day, whatever it takes is over time. You'll be amazed how much you produce and how much work you produce and how many stories you get to share. And, and it's not about numbers or particular numbers, but it's just doing the work and doing it in a routine, habitual way. And so I hope you are helped a ton by this interview. I know I was. And so I want to get right to the interview. I don't have any other announcements. And this is Chris Fox. And hope you enjoy the interview. And we'll talk to you real soon. Well, I am privileged today to have Chris Fox on the line, and Chris is a writer of sci-fi and horror and has written a couple great uh, nonfiction books, and we wanted to dig in a little bit today. Uh, Chris is kind of the embodiment of the prolific writer. Um, he has written multiple books, um, writes quickly, writes often, writes well, and so we want to talk a little bit about that. And so thanks for coming on the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. As soon as I heard the name of the podcast, I'm like, oh, it's my tribe. Yeah, and you know, and it's funny, I, I started the, the, the podcast for that reason, is it, it felt like there was kind of a missing angle or a missing kind of niche to think about being prolific, and one of the things that I get asked a lot is, you know, well, I'm, I'm not going to come on the show because I'm not that prolific, and, and I think when we hear prolific, we think, well, you have to write, you know, 15 books a month, and you know, and those kinds of things. But but really what, what I'm trying to get after is if you want to make it as a writer, you want to make it as a in the indie space especially, is to be consistent and to produce consistent work. And so whether that's, you know, three books a year, four books a year, 29 books a year, it doesn't really matter. I think that the idea is being a consistent writer, a habitual writer, and then figuring out how, the, how to do that and what that looks like. Um, and so you've uh, tapped into that space a little bit. You wrote a book called 5,000 Words Per Hour, which sounds daunting uh, for those listening. But we want to talk a little bit about that today. And, um, and But before we get there, why don't we start kind of how all this came about as far as uh, being so productive and your writing and, and where did you begin? How how did your story begin? So my, my writing starts at a very early age. Um, I put pen to paper when I was six years old, always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Everybody said, oh, you're going to be an author. And then when I turned 18, I did um, an abrupt 180 and went into computer science instead because I realized that I didn't think I was going to be able to make any money as an author. So I set the writing aside for a lot of years, and I kind of tinkered on the side, but I never really wanted to get uh, a novel published. I did nothing more than a few short stories. 
But my time in tech started teaching me all about productivity. And I want to say 2007, I stumbled across a book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. Mm -hmm. And it really took things to the next level. I started becoming super productive. I, I put systems in place to track all the stuff I was doing every day, everything from weight loss to my projects at work. And um, it took me from working in a collections department to a six-figure job as a software engineer. I really started turning my life around. And I just happened to be at the right place in the right time. So I'm working in San Francisco during the heart of the tech boom. I'm surrounded by companies like um, Fitbit and Amazon and Uber. And so when this whole indie publishing thing came about in 2010, I had a front row seat for it. So I realized that we could finally take our, our writing future into our own hands as authors and we didn't need gatekeepers anymore and i could just sort of get my fiction out there so i started producing books and at first i thought uh you know two books a year is amazing and, and I, almost impossible and i was very proud of myself and then on a, a writing forum called Kboards, I, I ran across amanda lee who was doing 29 novels that year mm -hmm. so i wanted to find a way to compete i figure if she's able to do this i must be able to do it too and I started writing in the, the nooks and crannies of my life um, to, to sort of hit the word counts I'd need. So every morning um, when I took the bus into San Francisco, while everybody else was you know, sleeping or watching TV shows or whatever they did on the bus, I was writing and I was conducting writing sprints, which is what I cover in 5,000 words per hour. So I got 5,000 words in every single day despite having a startup job that was taking 80 hours a week of my time. Um, and it took, I think, probably two years of doing that to break free and become a full-time author, but that's where I'm at today. Well, that's a great story, and I, I love that story because I think that's where everybody begins is you know the nooks and crannies, the, the free time that we have. But, but I think what I hear in your story and what I've kind of um, observed from afar is – you know, those words add up, you know, it's, it's the few hours on the bus, it's, you know, over the lunch break. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I have, you know, 3000, 4000, 5000 words. It's, it's kind of that, you know, I love in the indie space, it's kind of that workman ethic. It's just, you know, getting in the chair, putting in the words, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, there's like a book here. <laughs> and, you, you said it in the beginning, uh -huh. consistency. It's all about consistency. Right. If you sit down every single day and you write 500 words for the next year, you've got 150,000 words. You, you read a novel and a half. And I think that's the that's the the goal of this show is as I, as we bring people on is you realize that everybody has different systems and processes and things but but it's that consistency and and it hopefully takes some of the fear out because yeah like you said 500 words a day you know you, you're going to be at the end of the year you know be be amazed that you have you know quarter of a million words or, or or less and that's you know that's five six seven books eight maybe nine books and 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 the fear's kind of gone like whoa I can do this. Um, so, so let's, let's dig in a little further, uh, as far as, uh, your, your book, your 5,000 words book. And I actually noticed I, I hadn't read this one. I've read most of your nonfiction books and a couple of your fiction books, but you also actually wrote a book, um, that's, uh, talking about a daily writing habit as well. And I haven't, I haven't checked that one out yet, but, um, uh, but you, you, you talk a lot about in 5,000 words, um, using technology, you know, you have a programming background, you built some apps and things, and you actually talk a little bit about that of, of keeping track of your words. Now, what is kind of the magic in actually, you know, I hear you saying that when you were working in your startup and, and all these companies, productivity, getting things done, um, kind of in that space. Um, what, what's the, the magic about actually writing things down, keeping them you know, keeping your word count in an app, those kinds of things. How does that help you? 
Uh, neuroscience really, really assists you in, in a number of different ways that I think most people don't understand. Uh, anything that can be tracked can be improved. So if you want to lose weight, if you want to write a bunch of words, if you want to make any change to your life, writing it down and measuring where you are today makes it possible to compare it to tomorrow. And what we will instinctively do, everyone, is try to improve. So if I write 500 words today, then tomorrow I'm probably going to try to hit 510. I'm maybe going to try and hit that 500 words a little bit faster. And over time, without very much extra effort, if I just sit down to write that same 500 words, eventually it's going to become 600 words and then 700 words and, and so on and so forth and keep growing. So it's really about consistently over time tracking data and using that data to improve yourself. Um, we are a very tribal society and we're very competitive. And the, the person that we're the most competitive with is, is ourselves. So if you can sort of get yourself into a brain space where you are tracking something that you want to be better, your subconscious is going to do everything in its power to make that better. Uh, and that's going to kind of create a snowball effect where if you can see that you can push yourself from, say, 500 words an hour to 1,000 words an hour, you start asking the question, well, what about 1,500? What about 2,000? And before you know it, you're hitting numbers that you would have thought impossible just 30 or 60 days before. Now, at this point in your career and your journey as a writer, obviously you've been been doing it for a while. Uh, are you still tracking your numbers? Are you still kind of keeping that, or are you just kind of in this this space where you know this is your job now and you just get up and do the work and you don't really think about it? kind of where are you as far as that goes? I, I track my daily words. I don't necessarily track my writing sprints as closely. So uh, what I used to do is every time I'd sit down to write, I would start a clock. Uh, and my writing sprints were 20 minutes, and at the end of it, I would jot down the amount of words that I wrote. I don't really use the clock anymore. I don't need it. Um, I just write a complete chapter, and I stop when that chapter's over, and my chapters happen to be around 1,000 to 1,200 words. Um, but I do keep track of those daily totals because I, I want to make sure that they're not dropping, and sometimes they do. You start seeing alarming trends where you know maybe uh, a new video game came out that I'm playing, and I'm spending less time writing, and, and <laughs> when you have to look at that spreadsheet, you're like, uh-oh. I'm only doing half my daily word counts. It, it gets me right back into the chair. If you get complacent and you stop tracking your word counts, then you're going to start losing momentum. Either you're gaining momentum or you're losing it. Um, there's very little in between. It's hard to kind of you know stay where you are. So I don't think I'll ever stop tracking daily words for that reason. It's really, really helpful to keep measuring my progress. Now, also in your tracking, I mean, you've been very, um, what I appreciate about you, Chris, is you've been very open and public about your writing process and what you're doing and your sales numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I think, you know, I could be totally wrong, but I think you're, the whole point of that, some of your videos on YouTube and things, is to show that this can, this is possible and to show that you can um, write fast, but, but you also can write well. And, and so... You know, again, I could be wrong, but but some of your tracking of your words is also about your business, right? I mean, it's saying, okay, I need to write X amount of books, or I need to, you know, create uh, X amount of of books this year, and so I want to keep track of that to make sure I'm kind of meeting those goals. Is that is that part of it too? Absolutely. If if I want to keep paying rent, I, I don't have a mortgage. Yet, but, um, <laughs> if I want to keep paying rent. I've got to get books out on a schedule, especially now more so than any other time in history because so many people are doing this and releasing books. You lose visibility on Amazon uh, very, very quickly. And that means that I, I've got to get a new book out pretty much every eight weeks, faster if I can manage it. The, the perfect schedule for me is about one book every five weeks. And I don't think it's possible for me to keep doing that unless I systematize my schedule uh, and make sure that I'm hitting my daily word counts. And 
that's really how you break down the big goals. And I get this from programming. If you want to do something that looks impossible just due to sheer size, break it up. If you know that your super big novel is going to be 200,000 words and you're doing um, 5,000 words a day, then that's 40 days of writing and you've finished that massive novel that you want to write. So yeah, I, I have a very rigid schedule. I don't get to miss days. I don't get to uh, you know not write my 5,000 words just because I stayed out you know the night before playing D&D with my friends. Um, I make myself get into that chair. I make myself write it. And kind of the ulterior motive for me creating these videos is it makes me accountable. I have to show the world at the end of a given week, this is what I did. And if I fail, I have to admit it publicly. And that kind of pressure sort of uh, keeps me working hard. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a, a good question because we've I've had some guests on um, – and we shouldn't start a thing by here's a good question because it might not be a good question, but at least in my mind it's a good question. Um, we, we've had some people on talk a little bit about just their own, you know, physical difficulties, some mental health things, and, and just, you know, taking care of themselves. You know, when, when you start talking about, you know, 5,000 words an hour, 5,000 words a day, you know, uh, cranking out the books, you know, how do you take care of yourself? In, in other words, you know, when you feel maybe burnout starting to hit or the, the creativity just not there or, or, you know, you feel in this pressure, okay, I got to get this many books out. You know, what are some things to kind of consider when we, we think about burnout and, and creativity and, and production and things like that? What are some things you're, you're kind of thinking about? I think the first thing I'd start with is if you are not doing this full time, then keep it a hobby as long as it's humanly possible because the beauty of making it a hobby is – when you hit that burnout patch where you're like, you know what, I really don't feel like writing. In my case, I don't have a choice. I need to sit down and I've got to write it, which means I have to power through that. But before, when I was a software engineer, I could take a month off. I could not write a book uh, and not have a problem with my income because it wasn't my primary source of income. And I think you need to be really careful. It's a bit like working out where if you get used to writing, let's say, a 1,000 words a day and eventually you're going to get you know, 1,500 and then 2,000, you start hitting these really big numbers. But the, the thing about working out is you always have a recovery period. So I go to the gym and I, I lift super heavy weights, but then I don't go back the next day and do it again. Mm-hmm. I take a couple days off to recover, and you've kind of got to do that with writing as well. So I think that it's really important that you build in these recovery periods to your schedule. It's one of the reasons why I think writing five days a week and then taking the weekends off is smart for most people because you, you do sort of get that time to rebuild your creativity and, and sort of refill that creative well and to not force yourself to be writing every day. Because if, if you push it hard enough, long enough, you'll burn out to a point where you don't want to write at all. And then you'll take you know six months off or a year or maybe never come back to it. So consciously being aware of the need for recovery periods, no matter what your writing speed is, is really important. So don't, don't give yourself permission to like slack off all the time and not work. But when you know you're working hard and, and you're getting up tired and you're just not excited about it, don't be afraid to take a break, I think. That's good. So I know people listening are probably saying, okay, 5,000 words a day, you know, 500 words a day, 1,000 words a day, whatever. Um, whatever those numbers might be for, for a particular person. I mean, these aren't good words, right? I mean, these are like the most wretched words you've ever read in your life, right? I mean, there's, there's no quality coming out of you, right? <laughs> Talk to us about that a little bit. This is my favorite topic, and I get asked this a lot. I've been um, nailed on podcasts. I've, I've been on writing panels where people have you know accused me of writing crap. Uh, and the argument that they all say is that you know if you write it that fast, it can't be good. 
But these people don't look at some of the greatest artists in history. So, for example, Isaac Asimov wrote 500 books in his lifetime. He had three typewriters. There was none of this word processor stuff where we could just easily, you know, cut and, and paste. He had typewriters, and he was still writing that fast. Um, and some of the best words of his life were written in these crazy throws where he would spend two hours and he'd crank out like the illustrated man. Um, the thing about writing fast is you were trying to get yourself into flow state. When you were in flow state, this is when, and all of us as artists, I think, have hit this at one point or another, everything fades away into the background. You're not thinking about the words. You're not thinking about the mechanics of, of what you're writing or even the plot. You're sort of lost and your consciousness is gone and, and you're just pouring out this torrent of words. And the more you practice writing quickly, the, the easier it gets to get into flow state. And eventually you reach a point where you can get into flow state on command. So my best words are written at speed. Uh, Destroyer, my top-selling novel, uh, I wrote in three weeks. And when I say wrote, I wrote, edited, and published it in 21 days. And this book is still selling amazingly well today. It's had like, I don't know, 5 million page reads and, and you know almost 20,000 sales. Uh, Ender's Game was written in two weeks. So there's all these examples of books that are written at speed that are really, really good. It doesn't mean that every word that you write is going to be quality, but you have just as much chance of writing great words at speed as you do slowly. If you tinker on the same paragraph for days at a time, maybe eventually you'll have a good paragraph or you'll even have a better paragraph than I could produce at speed. And at that same time, I've probably cranked out an entire novel and I've learned about characterization and plotting and narrative voice and all these things that the person who is just, you know, kind of eking out the 50 words a day is never going to get to a point where they touch. Yeah, I, fi- I think that's the the myth I'm trying to kind of unpack is, is that, you know, writing fast is not you know, um, bad or somehow quality is going to suffer, but you're going to, can still write quality. And I think, I think there's something, you know, you've talked a little bit about the, the mind and the, the conscience and there, there's something about kind of outrunning your doubts. And when you, you get into that flow state and you, you're really cranking out the words is that I know for me, when I, when, when things kind of slow down or I'm just agonizing over, you know, like you said, this paragraph or whatever is you actually start just becoming a critic and going, Oh, this is the worst thing that's ever existed in the history of the world. I should just jump out the window. Um, but it's that flow state where you kind of outrun your doubts. You kind of outrun that critical editor that's always, you know, haunting you. <laughs> and and it's also interesting because I, I was listening to Stephen King not too re- not too long ago in an interview, and he was just talking about how he tries to write his books in a season, so you know, winter, fall, etc. You know, about three months because he says if I don't, then my characters and my story gets really cold and they they just don't pop anymore. And it's because you're taking too long and you're just kind of agonizing over. It. And I think that's very interesting of how that kind of works. I agree. When, when writing a novel, doing it at speed, um, all of these characters are fresh in my head. I love them. I have fun working with them. But if you look back to my first few novels, it took me uh, four years to finish my first book. And there were so many breaks in that time period where I'd get bored or I'd even start over because I just wasn't interested in the characters anymore. If you can write quickly, you can finish projects. And finishing projects is going to do more for making you uh, a better writer than I think anything else that you could do. Yeah, I just heard uh, Chuck Wendig talk about that, that his his advice to writers was, you know, 
write a lot and then finish your stuff. Like that's, that's the key. You know, he talked about his first novel that I think got published traditionally and, and how he took five years to write it or whatever. Um, and it was, he was like, it was terrible. And it just, cause I took forever <laughs> agonizing over it and, and it just, you know, didn't come out till, you know, years later. Um, but yeah, there's some great, great wisdom there. It's, it's kind of a strange thing. I, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I'm going back to some, some books that I started and it's just like hard to get back into the character, into the flow, you know, um, give us an example. Have you had any stories that you've kind of either abandoned or, you know, kind of had maybe half a book or started some ideas and then kind of come, come back to what, what what was kind of your strategy for that? It man, is it hard? Um, so I have a series called deathless. My very first novel was no such thing as werewolves. And it's a, a scientific take on what if werewolves could really exist? How would you explain this scientifically? Um, and I, I've got like an ancient culture that's coming back. And I poured a ton of research into things like genetics and helioseismology. And I, I wrote this, uh, what I feel is great book. And the sequels were great too. But then I stopped. You know, Vampires Don't Sparkle was the third book in the series. It came out. And then I took like a year break. And I came back to write the fourth book in this series and it was so difficult for me to get back into this this diverse array of characters i had a bunch of egyptian gods and you know people from modern times so getting distance from that series it, it, there was this i guess rebooting cost of months where i had to listen to the audiobooks of the series again and go through hundreds of pages of notes where if i take a series no matter how complex and I start at the first book and I work my way through until it's done, like finish a trilogy, for example. It's much, much easier. It is so difficult to come back, I think, to a project um, years after the fact. So the faster you can get it done, the, the easier um, and I think better your, your plot ends up being. So let's let's dig down, dig down a little bit on that that thread as far as, you know, getting the words out. Um, like, let, let's talk about this. So. Um, what kind of are you just typing? I mean, are you doing straight typing? Are you doing you know um, audio transcription? I mean, as far as um, what what is how has kind of your process changed? Um, you know, you talked about sprints. Um, dig in a little bit, just kind of the specifics of what your kind of a production looks like. Sure. So it, what it used to be when I, I had the day job is I would go stand at the bus stop with my iPhone headset on and I would record. Um, usually between 300 and 1,000 words, depending on how long the bus took to get there. Then I would sit down in my seat, and I would take my recording, and I would um, convert it into text and dump it into my document. And then I would start typing. And I did it because it was more time that I could harness. It was more words I was getting out. After I started doing this full-time, I no longer really have a need to do um, voice dictation. It works enormously well. It's something that I know a lot of authors swear by. But I enjoy typing a little bit more, so these days that's pretty much all I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what my process is, I get up at 5 a.m., I go to the gym, I spend about an hour working out and thinking about what I'm going to write that day. I come home, I get cleaned up, and then I start doing 20-minute writing sprints where I, I don't necessarily even need to set a timer anymore. But I <laughs> used to set a timer, and then I write until that chapter was finished or until the timer went off. And I do usually five writing sprints is enough to get me my um, 5,000 words for the day, uh, plus, plus or minus 1,000 a, a words. And then I'm done. So typically between the hours of like 7.30 and 11 is when I get my writing time in. And when I leave at 11 to walk to lunch, I'm already done with all my words for the day and I've hit the full 5,000. Okay. So 
uh, going back to we, we talked a little bit about quality um, and you know writing fast doesn't mean you know lack of quality but um, so let's talk about a little bit about your editing process so you know you sit down you write the 5,000 words you're done with lunch you know you go celebrate you give high fives to all the the people at the lunch place and uh, so the next day you come back to your words what are you kind of writing straight ahead till you're done with the book are you editing as you you know you come back and edit what, what's kind of your process for as far as editing goes so I finish a, a manuscript before I go back to do any editing at all. I don't even read it until I'm done writing the entire book. Okay. Um, this process won't necessarily work for everybody, and I, I encourage people to find their own, but it works well for me. And the big advantage that I found is if I finish the book as quickly as possible, knowing that there's going to be some problems with that draft, um, then I can go back and I can look at it with the editor's eye. So we talked a little bit earlier about your inner critic and, and sort of needing to outrun them or, or turn them off in your head when you're writing. It's really easy for me to do that because my inner critic knows that if they're patient, we're going to get to that editing phase, and then that's when I'm going to shred the book. That's when I'm going to tear it apart and make all these notes and and look for things that need to be different. And when I'm doing this editing process, it is also systematized, just like my writing. So I start by sitting down and I read the book from cover to cover, and all I'm allowed to do is make notes. I can't make changes beyond fixing a typo. Um, I'm not going to write new chapters. I'm not going to make new characters or change names or anything big. I'm just sort of adding notes through the entire thing. Once I've done that and I've gotten to the end, I, I take a big step back and consider it, and then I'll drop in placeholders for missing chapters. Um, I'll make notes about areas that need better description or dialogue that needs to be cleaned up or cut, and then I just do one pass. I start back on page one, and I do a single edit through the entire novel, and when I finish that single edit, I fire it off immediately to the editor, and I'm only going to see that book one more time before release. Um, Again, I don't think this is something that every, everybody should or can do. It's something that it took me a long time to get to. And I think that it's only possible because I have spent as much time working closely with developmental editors as I have. Mm-hmm. So is your first draft, you know, um, you know, as you're going, going back to the editing phase, you're, you know, your first draft sitting there in front of you, is it, is it fairly clean uh, copy? I mean, is it, and what I mean is, I mean, obviously there's going to be a few typos and, and you know, grammar thing whatever um but i mean is it as far as story goes is it fairly clean kind of how you want it yeah 85 percent of what i write will make it into the final draft in some cases 90 um and i tend to write light so what will happen in the edit is i'll be adding chapters and adding paragraphs of description but it's very very rare for me to cut something entirely or remove any of the words that i've written um if you go back to the videos that i released for the 21 day novel challenge for destroyer people were kind of blown away because they got to watch me writing this on screen and they realized that the first draft I was putting out was almost ready for publication. Um, that's a result, I think, of... Uh, the Marines have this this saying... Um, God, let's see if I'm, I'm going to butcher this or not. I think it's... Um, fast is smooth... Uh, oh God, I'm, I'm just mangling it. But, but, <laughs> but the way that their little saying works is you're going to start off sucking at something. You're going to be really bad at it, and you're going to do it slowly until you can get it perfect. Once you have it perfect, then and only then do you speed it up. So I spent you know five-plus years tinkering on my writing, getting to a point where I could write fast. And everything that you learn along the way when you're doing that sticks with you. So the words that you're writing after learning all these these lessons are, are typically the best that you're capable of producing. And, and that's definitely my case. You know, when I'm putting out these drafts, I can write something really, really quickly, make very few tweaks to it, publish it, and, and know that fans are going to like what I'm putting out. 
you know, I, I find this interesting because um, there's also, and, and again, you can totally correct me if I'm reading into this or this is not what you're thinking at all. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, there there is a reality. Like you could go back and you could edit the crud out of your manuscript. You you could say, you know what, this one character is just a doofus and I don't like it, and I'm going to totally change it, or I'm going to change the ending, or I'm going to change the middle, or you know, whatever. Um, but but is there a point where you say you know from a production standpoint from an art standpoint that you know what this is it, it, it's it's not awful it's great it's it's not perfect but it's it's somewhere in between where it says like this is the best I can do right now and I'm gonna move on I'm not gonna obsess over it I'm not gonna you know just keep polishing it and polishing it um, what, what's kind of your mindset there I mean how do you kind of think through that yeah it's really really difficult because as artists we're perfectionists we want our products or i, I call that a product i mean that should tell you my, my <laughs> mindset i guess we want our, our books to be as amazing as possible as perfect as possible um i had the advantage where for five years i was a software engineer and all you were ever allowed to build is the minimum viable product mm. you're going to make something that's good enough and they're going to shove it out the door and it's going to have bugs and problems and it's never going to be what you want it to be and I took that mindset back to writing and realized that there is a point of diminishing returns. So for my first few novels, I worked with a writing coach, and she shredded my writing, and I did full rewrites. And that was necessary. I was not yet a good enough writer where I could turn out a first draft that I was proud of putting up on Amazon. But to get there, I, I worked through a lot of criticism and a lot of rewrites. But once you finally arrive, it's pretty easy for you to harness uh, all the lessons that you learned along the way and, and produce something that's um, – the best that you're capable of doing, I think. Yeah, and I think that's important because I think a lot of people listening, the the, the hang up of not producing or becoming prolific or getting the words out is is that perfection. You know, it's it's that you know this paragraph could be a little bit better. This you know one scene can be a little better. And so you spend five years just polishing this thing, polishing this thing, and never really sharing it. And you know, it's funny. I, I you know I read a lot. You probably read a lot too. And and you know I read mainstream fiction and 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 it's amazing how much problems even these books have that have sold millions and millions of copies you know um there's this idea that somehow it's, it fell from heaven and it's perfect and you know no one can touch it or say anything bad about it but your every book you read has problems <laughs> i mean you're always going like why did they do that or why did he say that or that was really boring or you know and, and it doesn't matter whose book it is yeah, every book does have those problems. You're never going to get past it. It's never going to be perfect. It's only going to be the best that you're capable of producing right now. And what I think is really funny, and I've heard this from other writers, but you know, finally got to experience it myself, the books that you are most proud of are oftentimes the ones that sell the worst. So the things that I write really quickly that, you know, I just did Destroyer was a fun space romp. I, I was taking some elements from some of my favorite video games like Mass Effect I didn't put a lot of time into crafting this plot, and I put it out there, and people absolutely loved it and went nuts over it. And you know, here I spent four years uh, plotting out and researching no such thing as werewolves, and it did pretty well. It sold okay, but fans are not nearly as into that book, even though it took me a fraction of the effort. Right. Yeah, the irony, right? <laughs> um, so let, so let's talk a little bit about um, you, you know you've talked a little about your editing process um you, you've talked about kind of your processes of actually getting the words out and things like that but let's let's go a little bit deeper as far as 
you know, you de- you deciding from your own production schedule, business schedule of what you're actually going to write. So, so what is kind of your process for determining kind of your next project, um, your your next you know series, those kinds of things? How, how has that been kind of evolved over the years? Uh, so I started by writing anything that I wanted to write, just what I thought was a good story. Uh, when I released my first book, I did, couldn't even tell you what genre it fits into. Maybe it's thriller, maybe it's horror, maybe it's urban fantasy. I just don't know. Um, <laughs> And I eventually figured out very quickly that readers read based on familiarity. So they are looking for books that are similar to what they're already reading. And that's where I wrote a a book called Write to Market and explained, okay, if you can find these voracious readerships and sort of see what they're into right now, you can write something similar that's probably going to sell well enough for you to, you know, keep paying rent. Uh, And I do that research before I actually put a series out. Now, I just make sure that there's an audience out there that's probably going to buy what I want to write. I still write what I love writing, and it's going to be a book that I'm proud of. um, But I make sure that I'm picking a genre based on on saleability. And so you write, uh, you started with some horror stuff, fantasy, not sure what, and then now you're doing primarily sci-fi. Is that correct? That's correct. I, only for now. I mean, I'll keep changing uh, sure. you know, every few years based on interest. But right now, it's it's mostly space opera, military science fiction. So what have, what were some of the influences um, for sci-fi? Obviously, you like sci-fi. You've talked about it in your books. And, um, you, you know, who are some of the, the, the authors that you kind of enjoyed that kind of inspired some of your sci-fi? Uh, Robert Heinlein. Um, let's see. David Brin. Um, Frank Herbert. You know, Dune is, is absolutely amazing. I grew up reading this wonderful sci-fi, but I also grew up reading authors I can't even remember. So it would be like these dime store novels. They were super cheap at my used bookstore, and they came mostly from the 50s to the 70s. Um, Very short books, like 60,000 words. And it was just an interesting um, sci-fi action adventure romp, sort of reminiscent of like Flash Gordon. Uh, That was very popular for a lot of years. So I I used that as kind of the backbone of what I wanted to write. And then I layered on top of that – my love of TV shows like Battlestar Galactica and video games like Mass Effect. So just kind of the last 30 years of culture, um, the, the science fiction culture, the TV shows that were coming out, the books that, that were available, um, I read it all. I'm, I'm a diehard geek. I, I've done you know fantasy and science fiction my whole adult life. So do you um, – another qu- question as far as kind of your process and production and – you know, how are you thinking through kind of length of book, um, size of book? You know, is it going to be a novella, a novel, a short story? Um, do you have any kind of metric for determining that um, as you set out? I mean, do you have an outline that kind of says I need to hit this amount of words or talk talk us through that a little bit? I do. Um, different genres have different tolerances. So if you put out a 60,000 word epic fantasy, um, people are going to butcher you in the reviews because, you know, it's way, way too short. They want to see like 100,000 words to them is, is incredibly short. And they're going to grumble. You're you're really looking at needing 200,000 plus to make that audience happy. If you're writing science fiction, you can get away with a 60,000 word novel and people are fine with that. If you're writing erotica, you could do a 10,000 or a 12,000 word novella and, you know, people will love that. So really the key is understanding what your genre expectations are and then consistently fulfilling that. And do you, like if you say, I'm going to write a 60,000 word sci-fi, I mean, are you outlining that out as you go or do you just have kind of an idea and just run with it? Where, where are you at in that process? I'm extremely heavy in the plotting department. Um, the more I, uh, I become successful, the more I realize that a huge part of my success is knowing what I'm going to write before I write it. So when I sit down these days to do a plot, 
I'll write up some summaries and then I will drop in placeholders for every chapter. And since I know that my chapters tend to be about a thousand words long, I can sort of predict how many chapters I'm going to need to, um, to make a book the right size. Okay. So you kind of, kind of work backwards in that, in that way. Are, are you, you know, th- this is always the debate of all debates, you know, pantsers versus plotters and, and all that. But w- when you have an outline, are you, when you get to the end, are you pretty close to the, the original ideas? Are you kind of all over the place? Is it kind of, you know, 50, 50, um, as far as your creativity goes, I mean, do you kind of let it go where it needs to go? If a character tells you, Hey, I need to go over here. You just go over there and let the muse go where, or how, how do you think through that? Um, I, I typically start with a, a kick-ass ending where you know I'm, I'm trying to build towards this ending that I have in mind. Um, maybe it's you know in my case a, an epic space battle between the antagonist and the, the protagonist, and everything that I'm doing in the outline is building up to that. But if I'm writing the outline and I figure out that I need a new character to exist, or uh, maybe an existing character needs to change gender, or um, the way I'm writing the plot just isn't working, I'll pause and then I'll fix the outline. It's really, really fast and easy for me to make alterations to an outline. It's, it's very difficult to make alterations to a book after it's written. So I tend to let my creativity go where it's going to go. But I think probably 80% of what I'm writing is matching the initial outlines that I put together. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, as I've interviewed you know, a lot of people now, it, it's amazing how everyone's process is different. And you know, some people know exactly you know, where they want to go and some people don't. And, and, you know, and it's funny because I think sometimes even outliners, you know, like yourself that say, you know, I, I do a heavy plot, you know, have it kind of laid out is that, um, you know, even if you don't write it down, I think sometimes we, we already kind of know where we want to go. Um, and, and it's just that kind of following what we already kind of want to do and we just kind of go where, where it needs to go. So if, even if you don't write it down specifically, it seems like I kind of have an idea what I want to happen. Um, as much as you know, Stephen King talks about you know, well, I don't, I don't know anything. I don't, but he, but he has some obviously some ideas of where he wants to go. Well, and also Stephen King, half of his books are terrible. Like, <laughs> you know, right. you'll have books come out, and he'll have amazing hits like it. You know, still keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. But then you'll you'll read you know certain other books. Like I can't even remember. Um, he had a book with like Mercedes in the title, and I can't even remember what that's yeah, about. Mister Mercedes, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that that's a, a direct result of um, being hit or miss if, if you're a pantser. And I'm not saying you can't do amazing work as a pantser, but what I am saying is that when I switched from being a pantser to an outliner, the consistent quality of my books went up a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seems like you get a little tighter, you get a little bit more on on point. You know, Stephen King writes thousand page books. You know, and and some of it, half of it could probably be cut out. I mean, as far as just it's just like fluffy description, or just this character does this thing, which really doesn't really matter. And you know, and the endings aren't always great. You know, <laughs> kind of disappointed after you've got a thousand words or a thousand pages in. Yeah, Dark Tower, we're looking at you. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, started pretty strong, but um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, no, I think I think that's important. Just to even you know, those listening is. Having some kind of system that, because I think what I'm hearing you saying is that by you having kind of an outline or, or you know, a plot or, or something in place, is that when you sit down every day, you're ready to work. You know, you're not trying to figure it out. You're not trying to go, well, maybe I should do this or where I should go here or there. But it sounds like you, you really are ready to go. Is that is that true? Absolutely. I know for a fact, like I haven't done um, the rest of my writing today. I'm about 2,000 words in. I know that the next 3,000 words that I'm going to write is going to take me approximately an hour. I know this because I know exactly what the words are about. I know what the chapter content is, and I can consistently produce that. 
Um, if I didn't know what that was, maybe I would sit there chewing on the end of a pencil for an hour trying to figure out what the best plot is. Or maybe I would just, you know, crank out the chapters really, really quickly. But again, when I'm trying to, to consistently pay a rent, I don't have the luxury of, of non-productive days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. So, so with that, let, let's um, let's just transition the last few minutes here. I I, I know we we've talked a lot about, you know having processes, getting the words out, consistent writing habit, all good things. But one of the things you also have done really well and you've helped a lot of writers in some of the books you've written is, is also just the marketing and, you know, getting the words out and, but marketing the words and sharing your stories, uh, making a living. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people listening that, that would like to maybe transition to being, you know, full-time writers or going out on their own and, and just doing this as, as their own, only income. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you're, you're you've kind of learned along the way? I, I've picked some of that up as you've shared a little bit of just kind of writing whatever you want, but, but what are some things that you, you would kind of share with people to say, Hey, how, not only get the words out, but how do we get the words into people's, you know, e-readers or um, into their hands. There are only two really important things to getting your your book noticed. And and I wish I had known this going in. The first thing is a cover. So we've been taught our whole lives, don't judge a book by a cover, but everyone judges a book by a cover. And if your cover is not amazing and, and very descriptive of what the genre is, so not just a good cover and great artwork, but also representative of of the other books in your genre. Um, If you don't have that, your book is much less likely to take off and sell because people are going to browse down a list of books online. That's where most people are buying books now. And they're just looking at the thumbnail for the cover. They might see your title, but they're really going to see the thumbnail first. So if the thumbnail doesn't draw them, you're in trouble. Once they click on that thumbnail, so if you've got a good cover, you've got to have a blurb that just pops, that explains and captures the stakes of your book very effectively and who the players are in a way that makes them want to read it. And if you can do those two things, the rest of your career, um, you can learn over time. So if you're a new author today and you're coming at this, I would focus on your craft. I'd work on becoming a better author and I, I would make sure that I was writing every day. But I'd also start practicing copywriting. Try to write a 300-word blurb um, about your book. And then when you're done with that, cut it down to two sentences and, and see what you can do. Um, and then spend a little bit of time familiarizing yourself with your genre. If you write um, you know, uh, science fiction like I do, uh, start looking at covers. What's selling right now? What's the top book? What's the number 20 book? And you know, can you get something similar created? Can you maybe spend some time on DeviantArt looking for an artist who's not going to charge you $1,000? Um, you do a little of, uh, a bit of hustle and a little bit of you know, work up front, finding the pieces you need for a, a great cover and a great blurb, and your book is going to do better than 90% of the other people that are releasing. So, so follow that thread a little bit. So the, the, the beginning author, you know, they're not making much money. They don't have a lot of money to spend. Um, what, where did you start? I mean, obviously you weren't making money day one as far as a good cover. I mean, what are some creative solutions that someone listening could say, you know, I just I can't drop you know, a ton of money on it. And, you know, and also with no guarantees of making money from the book, you know, uh, what would be some just creative things that you could do to, to get a pretty good cover? So a lot of genres, um, pre-mades will work and that's usually a model on the cover of some kind. If you're doing urban fantasy, um, you can certainly get away with this where you maybe can get a cover as cheap as like, let's say $30 that will look professional enough to stand next to the other covers around it. So pre-mades are one possibility, um, for most genres, I think your best bet is it's going to take a little bit of time, but I start Googling 
um, spaceships or mechs or, you know, uh, cowboys or whatever it is I'm writing about. And then I get on DeviantArt, which is the largest art site in the world, and I start looking for people who do that kind of artwork. And once I see somebody who does artwork that's of the quality that I'm looking for, then I'll shoot them a message and say, hey, listen, I'm an, art, or I'm an author and I'm looking for a cover for my new book. How much will you charge? And most of the people I've found, especially if they're newer artists, they're not going to charge you an arm and a leg. Um, my very first cover, No Such Thing as Werewolves, I think I paid $250 for that artwork. And this is a full-page, um, original, phenomenal photo of uh, a werewolf standing next to a pyramid under moonlight and, and it did more than anything else to sell my book it only cost me 250 dollars. so you can do legwork to try to find people sort of in the same boat as you are you're looking for the starving young artist to match your starving young author <laughs> and the two of you can kind of grow together no that's really smart i mean i you know it's kind of like i've heard people going to like community colleges and you know, hitting up the art department and saying, Hey, I got this idea for a book. Somebody want to build their portfolio, you know, and, um, you know, creating a, a piece of art or, or a cover for them very cheaply. Yeah. It's a great way to go. Uh, it's hard. Uh, I, I wouldn't sacrifice quality is the thing. So sure. if you only have $50 to work with, don't buy a mediocre cover. Um, go get a second job, mow some lawns, do whatever you have to do to get enough money to afford the good cover. That is the one area of your book you cannot skimp on. So good cover, good blurb. Um, now talk to us a little bit about just your kind of what, as far as your editing goes. I mean, do you have, um, where do you find your editing? I mean, I know that's another conversation that, that people, you know, have is like, man, editing can be really expensive. You know, where, where do I start if I'm just starting out and, you know, I'm not sure this book's going to make a lot of money. I don't want to spend a thousand dollars on editing. Um, what are some creative solutions for there? The, the first and best thing that you can do is to become, um, the best self editor you can. It's not going to be enough on its own. But I recommend a book called Line by Line. Um, it's old. It's like 10 or 15 years old, so I think it's only in paperback. But what I'd recommend is buying it. It's like seven or eight bucks. Uh, put it on your toilet in the bathroom. And every time you go to the bathroom, read three pages. It's like 12 years of grammar and you know English all crammed into 150 pages. And by the time you finish this book, you will be a much, much better writer and editor. So that's the first step. That's going to get you a little bit cleaner. From there, um, there's things like uh, Hemingway is uh, a software program you can use online to look for typos and problems in your writing. And then beyond that, find an editor that you can barter services with. Nothing is going to work as well as a professional editor, somebody who does this for a living and knows what to look for. Um, and if you can't afford to pay them right off the bat, sometimes you can trade services because often those people are looking uh, to get books published themselves and maybe they're looking for beta readers. Uh, maybe you know somebody in, in your genre that can help them out and you can make the introduction. So it, it comes back to hustling, I guess. Great. Great. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I want people to hear the, the all these creative solutions because I, I think that's where people get kind of hung up is, you know, I, I just don't have the money. I can't do these things. You know, my book's going to be junk. And, and yet there are a lot of people. And there's, you know, and like you said, with cover designers, there's also editors that have, you know, edited a lot of things. They've written a lot of things and, and they're maybe starting a business and they, you know, they're not charging an arm and a leg yet because they, they can't justify it. But, you know, they're, they're willing to help out indie authors too. Some of them just love indie authors and want to help them too. So they're out there. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate. We, there's such an amazing community of people, and, and by and large, everybody wants to help each other. Sure. That's very true. That's very true. 
Well, hey, Chris, this has been been fantastic, and I, I always like to ask our guests uh, just for kind of your down and dirty, you know, quick pitch on on what to tell the aspiring prolific writer. What, what's the advice you'd want to give them? What, what is it you want to leave them, you know, as you kind of go off into the sunset and write four more books before the day is over? Um. I would suggest setting an easily achievable goal and then meeting it every day. This is going to build consistency uh, and, a, and a lifelong writing habit, which is the title of one of my books. If you do a single five-minute writing sprint every single day at a time of your choosing and you always do it at the same time in the same place, the words are going to start adding up and you can build from there. So do something that you know you can easily hit every single day so you're never going to miss it. You're never going to fail at it. And before you know it, you're going to have a habit of cranking out that number of words every day, and it's only going to grow. It's like planting a seed and waiting for it to grow into a tree. So start small and do it consistently. Really good. Really good. Now, what are you currently working on, and also where can we find you? Uh, I'm about to put out the third book in my current trilogy uh, called Press the Line. The name of the trilogy is The Ganog Wars. It's um, space opera, military science fiction. Uh, you can find out more about me at chrisfoxwrites.com. I've got uh, five books out for writers and a six on the way and also a whole bunch of uh, articles on marketing for free and a free YouTube channel with a bunch of videos on how to do this stuff. Yes, definitely check out Chris's work, his website. He's got some great videos. Um, I've learned a lot. His nonfiction books are wonderful. His sci-fi is wonderful. So check out Chris. Hey, Chris, it has been such a privilege. Uh, you're going to help a lot of people that listen in, and uh, really glad that you could come on today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. All right, take care. Well, how awesome was that? I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you go back and listen to this episode. Chris Fox killing it for us, giving us some great advice. And I, I was so encouraged uh, by this episode and just wanted to go right and get back to the page and get back to the words. And so hopefully you took some great help from this episode. Hopefully you got some great advice from this episode and go check out Chris's books, chrisfoxwrites.com. Uh, check out his fiction work, check out his nonfiction work, and you're going to be helped a ton if you're an aspiring writer. And even if you're not, if you're just a reader, go go see his work. You'll, you'll really enjoy it. So thanks for coming by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Go check out the website, theprolificwriter.net, theprolificwriter.net. And there's some great episodes there, some articles there to encourage you, inspire you to write more words. And also, if you get a chance, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, we're kind of all over the place now. So iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, wherever. Uh, wherever you listen to this episode, go leave a review. That really helps us get the word out. And people have really been enjoying the show. We've had a lot of great guests, and we have many more great guests to come. And so go do that. We'd love for you to do that. Give an honest feedback review and no pressure no one's going to come and find you maybe i might i might knock on your door i might ask i might beg i might plead no i'm not going to do that but but go leave a review and until next week uh, we got some great people coming on the show in the coming weeks you're going to be blown away and uh, i will hope to talk to you real real soon god bless Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up, and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city. 
with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals. Concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences. You name it, Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD to save $10.